I'm here tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because I have a problem. I am addicted to cartoons. I've been to Animators Anonymous. I've checked into the Betty Boop wing of Betty Ford. I went to my therapist, knocked on the door, opened the door and said, what's up, doc? And I realized it. I have a Jones for the work of Chuck Jones. Yes. Oh, you know. Oh, you know it's true. He is one of the true pioneers of animation, part of the team that gave us Looney Tunes. He worked on Bugs, Daffy, Porky, Elmer, The Roadrunner, Wile E. Coyote, Peppy Le Pew. It sounds like the guest list at Snoop Doggy Dog. I know. <laughs> Tweety and Sylvester, Tom and Jerry, Siskel and Ebert, they wish. <laughs> he has raised speech impediments to an art form. <laughs> you cannot say despicable and not think of Daffy Duck. His characters are everywhere. That little frog even has his own network on the WB. And if you've seen the primaries, you've got to believe that his characters are running for office. Yes. Now you have to admit, there's a little bit of Chuck Jones lodged in the frontal lobe of everyone here tonight. You know that. It's my great pleasure to present this very special achievement award. To an artist who's a true visionary, ladies and gentlemen, put them together for the hardest drawn man in show business, Chuck Jones. Well, stupid, are you ready? Okay, Smokey, roll on. <laughs> That's silly. Shoot him now! Shoot him now! Oh, I gotcha! <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to That's Not Twelve, folks, a Lean Tunes podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hanlon, joined by... And I'm Jordan Schmidt, and uh, uh, a week after uh, uh, making fun of a lot of classic Chuck Jones shorts, uh, it is time to start our retrospective series on this show by talking about three Chuck Jones shorts. In a much more positive flight than last week. Yes. Yes. <laughs> We, we picked better ones. You know, when we were being chased after that mob of Dover Boys fans, I, I thought we'd be finished. Yeah. But um, thankfully, they listened to what we had to say and decided to spare our lives. So that's just exactly. lovely. Thank you. Thank you. So well, much. they spared mine anyway because I, I liked it from the beginning. But but regardless, um, just so the – I mean, I, we, we teased this last week, but the next five or so episodes are going to be – going over the retrospectives of careers of Looney Tunes animators. Uh, we're doing a lot of the big ones. Uh, sadly, there won't be an Arthur Davis one, despite the fact that the Bowery Bugs one went really well. But like the big figures in Looney Tunes history, we will be covering their starts, how they ended up at Warner Brothers, what they did at Warner Brothers, what they did afterwards, really talking about it from a creator standpoint rather than just, isn't this short great? So... And we're, we're starting with a good one this week. Yes, because there have been uh, points in our show where we've, without notice, covered a director's journey. Yeah. You know, I, I believe in the uh, in the Halloween episode, we covered uh, Chuck Jones leaving Warner Brothers, and then early Chuck Jones, and then and the middle cartoon was like in the middle of that. So, so yeah. we covered the history. No. So we've kind of covered the history of Chuck Jones through cartoons before, but this is the legitimate one. Yes. This is the one we did on purpose. Exactly. And it's 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 prime Chuck material, complete with three very different pieces of Chuck's filmography. 
And so the three shirts that we will be covering today are the Night Watchman, which was uh, his first ever Lean Tune short for the company, followed by Long Haired Hair, a classic and actually a turning point in, in Chuck Jones's uh, career, yeah. followed by From Hair to Eternity, Chuck Jones's Swan Song to both yes. Looney Tunes and to uh, former colleagues of his. Yes. And, um, but yeah, I mean, look, we've already talked at, at length about why we enjoy Chuck Jones. I mean, we've covered a lot of his really good ones. We haven't covered that many that we didn't like. Old, old glory notwithstanding. But, um, <laughs> uh, but he was just a child then. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. That's a, that's an excuse. Um, but this, this episode is an opportunity for us to talk about, like, okay, like, just have more of a context for why he is great and why he is so well-remembered and why Robin Williams and an auditorium full of stars were cheering him on in 1996. Um, Which, that's one of the best Academy Award moments, is that one. Because oh, yeah. it's just two giants we really admire, like, kind of meeting. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. my God, this is my favorite comedian. That's my favorite animator. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good stuff. But, yes, we will be going well in detail about Chuck in this one. Um, so it, it, to start this episode, I'm just going to give some, some backstory about Chuck. Uh, there's not really that much to go over here. I mean, he's from Spokane, Washington. You know, one of those Washington State types that, uh, but not, you know, this was 100 years before vaping, so he wasn't one of those Washington State types. Uh, he was born September 21st, 1912. You know, uh, born in Spokane, moved to L.A., that area. Had this sort of artistic mindset from the get-go, though, you know, tried at his father's business. Uh, worked part-time at jan janitorial duties. His in, in terms of uh, cartooning, was... He, he had a friend named uh, Fred Coplitz. Um, Coplitz was in the business with uh, Ub Iwerks. And if you are a cartoon fan and do not know the name Ub Iwerks, uh, do a little bit more research. Ub Iwerks is one of those guys that like has been in and out of a lot of different uh, cartoonist cauldrons. I think he worked with Disney at one point. One of those pioneering cartoon figures. He's also the designer of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. So that's the big point of intrigue with Ub Iwerks. But Chuck Jones's first jobs in cartooning was with the iWork Studios. And, you know, animation, cell washing, um, ink and paint, uh, little bit jobs, you know, working his way literally up the up the ladder in a sense. It's funny because actually as he was working for iWorks, he meets his first wife, uh, Dorothy Webster, then known. They are married until the late 1970s when Webster dies. And then after enough time working with uh, the iWorks company, Ch Jones joins the Schlesinger Productions with WB uh, as an assistant animator and 35 he's promoted to an actual animator, works with Tex Avery, then then billed as Fred and by that point he was one of the big starting uh, animators at that point. And then of course he was one of the originators of the Termite Terrace crew and by 1937 Bob Clampett promotes him to a director status which is very cool. He's still under Clampett's unit, but is still very much, you know, doing his own things. And he starts cartooning in 1938, officially, with uh, The Night Watchman. 
And by the way, I want to I want to put in a, um, a disambiguation due to a, or a not a disagreement, but several episodes ago when we were talking about some of Chuck Jones's earlier creations, uh, we were trying to figure out the name of the mouse that um, was one of his first real stock characters, and I had said it was Sniffles, and you had said that's ridiculous. Sniffles the mouse is a different cartoon. It is in fact Sniffles, by the way. It is Sniffles. And the name of this character, um, actually, no, this isn't Sniffles, but this is a very proto-Sniffles character that is in The Night Watchman. I just wanted to make sure that we were, you know, clear on that yeah. for, um, but yeah. But yeah, Chuck Jones, and the other thing is that, that you want to know with Chuck Jones' early work is that he was very much trying to ape the style of Disney cartoons. A lot of his early shorts had these um, overly idealized, overly cutesy sort of characters without the sort of more, honestly, a lot more circular sort of work, rather than a bit more of the different shapes that would be in a lot of the later designs, like in the Bugses and things. He was definitely going for a sort of more refined, more, more, I'm trying to think of the right word to describe a lot of what he was doing early. But it was definitely... Innocence? Innocence, less loony, I will say. The Looney in Looney Tunes doesn't really come from Jones until a few years into it. The Looney is coming from Clampett and Avery and those guys. But Jones becomes Looney a bit after he does his idealized characters, like in Night Watchmen and Old Glory. Um, mm -hmm. But he starts out being very different, very his own sort of tactic, rather than just being the sort of quick-paced Bob Clampett sort of thing. We can take this into Night Watchmen because Night Watchmen is his very first Looney Tunes cartoon, his first the one that he directed. Um, it's a, a script by Ted Pierce, so for the first time he is paired with uh, one of the main stock writers at Intermite Terrace. Um, one of the interesting that hap things that happened on November 19th, 1938, when Night Watchmen was released, um, the media mogul Ted Turner is born on this day. Uh, Ted really? Turner. Yeah, Ted Turner um, of Turner Classic Movies and Turner Broadcasting Companies, and um, he owned the Atlanta Braves for a while. Ted Turner is one of the architects of modern television and modern news media and such, and when not being a money-grumming so-and-so, uh, he actually sculpted a lot of what makes television television right now. I mean, he's he's the reason we first ever watch Looney Tunes was because yeah. he started Cartoon Network and Turner also got the rights to the pre-1940 something library of Looney Tunes cartoons. So they were able so when Cartoon Network launched back in 1990 I believe they were able to air Looney Tunes cartoons and Tom and Jerry and the entire MGM cartoon library. Right. Because he was able to get the rights to that. So he, he, he's kind of a, a big deal in the later syndicated history of uh, Looney Tunes broadcasting. Yeah. And the other, the other big thing that Ted Turner does is he creates a 24-hour news channel uh, known as CNN, which has uh, lasted to this day, and is the reason we got accurate um, uh, electoral charts this election. So thanks, Ted. Yay. <laughs> Gives Jake Tapper a reason for being... Um, but yeah, also, um, on that day in 1938, I checked, 
uh, what movies were out. And a movie that I have mentioned several times in this uh, in this podcast, a movie called Angels with Dirty Faces was in theaters, ah. which is James Cagney, Pat O'Brien, Humphrey Bogart, uh, the Bowery Boys, uh, including a couple of the ones that were... Um, uh, Leo Gorsi and those guys, which Mel Blanc sort of took inspiration from for his Bugs voice. It's a great movie. It's one of the best 1930s gangster movies out there. Uh, I've talked about it at length, that and Public Enemy on this podcast. Um, and it was in theater to that day, which, hooray. Um, one of the other notes I have before I get into this, um, the Sportsmen, which are this sort of singing quartet, I believe they were also in Dover Boys. Yes, they were. Yes, so that is a connection to last week. Uh, they were in that one, and they are in this one. So very cool. Huh. As and they, and they play the the uh, the little quartet of rats in this. Um, okay, so immediately the first thing I noticed in this one is that the very first two shots, uh, establishing shots, have very odd jerk pans as we zoom in, like like it's sort of panning in. There's like a jerk to the side. Like, it's a, a bit clumsy, and it's I equate it to Chuck being a bit new at this, so I'll allow him a few mistakes, but it's it's odd. Okay, so the setup for this cartoon is very simple, whereas, um, you know, it, it takes... You know, this uh, Our main character is this little uh, adorable cat dude with a very high-pitched, cute voice, and his dad is the night watchman of the, of the kitchen, and his job is to go and patrol the kitchen and make sure... No rats or no criminals are uh, off stealing anything and then wreaking havoc in the kitchen. And he, he is sick at the beginning of this cartoon, and he's he's in bed, and so his son is going to have to be the night watchman. And this is actually a very good real-life-to-animals in-house translation. I mean, it's... I mean, Chuck Jones was always very good at translating real-life ideas to other settings like forests and and and... and zoos and things and this is a great idea of that and there's going to be a lot more clever ideas in this um the one thing about this main cat character other than being cute this cat character is very clumsy and already like he the, the very first gag of this he runs out the door in order to start night watchman things and he immediately breaks things outside he gets his foot caught in a jar and shatters it already that is our joke he is cute and clumsy and maybe not the best idea for this gig okay that is what we're starting with Hopefully it builds from there. So I will say, one of the things I noticed about this short, it is pretty rhythmic, and a lot of the music is based around the movements of the cat, the movements of the later mice. The score is timed perfectly with a lot of that. It's a very good Carl Stalling showcase short. A lot of it just is in the same sort of rhythm and pattern, which is very cool. I like that. Almost immediately, this Night Watchman little mouse runs into, a little cat runs into a, a bum mouse, was, you know, supposed to be just a bum on the streets, you know, looking to be, yeah. looking away from the, the police. And, and again, this is, this is definitely a Mel Blanc voice because he, mm -hmm. he sort of just, you know, screwed with the kid. He's like, wait a minute. So you're, you're not the watchman. Oh, your dad, the watchman. And he turns, hey, fellas, the watchman's sick. And just a chorus of eager mice. Now ain't that just too bad. <laughs> I, I love, so, I love the, okay, so when we get in this short, the our main character, the Watchman, doesn't have much of a personality. He's cute. No. He's clumsy. Whatever. Yes. The mice characters, I love their energy. They're nineteen yeah. thirties gangster mice from the wrong side of the tracks, and they just dwell in it, and I love it. 
they're just unruly guys and they want to just recall this kind of habit. And the next montage here is really clever because it's just the mice. Now that the, the Night Watchman is this little cowardly kid, they just go to town on the whole kitchen and they just start attacking various foods and, and eating things. And it's a great montage. A lot of clever mice, uh, like small stature and food sort of gag. Like a, like a mouse pops a corkscrew on a banana and a, a, another mouse like does a whole snake through a whole uh, jar of olives. And just really clever, charming food gags from a small scare. I, I really was impressed by all this. And meanwhile, this poor cat is just kind of nicely letting it happen. Like he goes to one mouse on the stove and try and stop him. And the, the mouse just asks him for the salt and the pepper as he's seasoning some pancake or something. Which he just And the, the mouse is just too timid to do anything but give it to him. That's what I like yeah, about this character. So, yeah. yeah, he doesn't want to cause, uh, cause any trouble. I've... I've I strongly identify with this character. <laughs> yeah, you know, just too nice, too shy to really put a foot down and just goes sort of goes along with the car the carnage, you know? Like it's 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 a good footnote in this character development as as we go across. Okay, so we have this um singing bit with the sportsman as this mouse quartet as everything sort of turned into a show that all the mice are watching. And it brings this to the it, it's the sort of quota of all Mary Melodies to this point where all of them have to have some sort of song or music portion yes. baked into it, just intrinsically, or at least it has to be tacked on in some places. And this is a little amusing, uh, amusing little song we have here, where just the, the, the cat, the quartet sends this little barbershop sort of song, and, and it's just this sort of cabaret theater while they're eating sort of uh, scenery to it. You know, this works. And... This then just leads to a whole montage of all these mice doing musical instruments and making loud noises with, with yes. makeshift trumpets and things. And this this is just an, a, an escalation of the poor cat yelling, just eventually just yelling quiet in an unseasonably Mel Blanc voice for this character. <laughs> and I also love the mat of just all the, the heads turning, just like overlaid over each other. Yeah. Like, this is not peak Chuck Jones, but he does a lot of really creative animation things here. Like things that es he doesn't always do in especially especially as we approach the second half, the animation yeah. really takes takes an uptick in quality. Exactly, and like right here, this cartoon has an early variant of Sylvester's conscious and scare and scaredy cat ordering him to get back in there, where this cat's conscience literally just a little ghostly angel sort of comes out of him and gives him like the pep talk. You know, you're a cat, they're mice. You got to go back in there, and of course, this conscious has the same high-pitched voice as the the cat as well. So that's at least kind of funny. And then after that, the cat just gets all this courage and and walks through and just punches out all the mice in fun little creative sequence set to Yankee Doodle Dandy. This is all great. Just different ways of getting them out of the way. Yeah, the animation's great. It's fulfilling just to see this small cat beat the crap out of these mice. Yeah. The fact that it's just an innocent character gets one heck of a backbone at just having his way with these mice characters. It's so fulfilling. Yeah, and like just a whole, like, like literally, just like having a stand up with a bunch of mice and coming one step further and they all run all the way back to the whole, like, just really good stuff here. And the ending's even kind of fun where he, he literally oh, yeah. just take, he takes a plunger and gets the bum rat from earlier out of the hole. Punches him and takes the little coin back from out of his suspenders, which was holding up, which was on his uniform before. And literally, as his his pants fall down, which is kind of fun, uh, it's it's a nice little 
come up and see. It's, and we, we iris out quickly from this, but it's a good note to end on. Yeah, more cartoons should end with the main character, who's already won, going back to the main um, antagonist of the short just to give a good comeuppance. You know, yeah. I, I'm always in favor of an ending like that. Yeah, no, no. It's, it, it re- and it doesn't really put... Like it does, we don't need to go back to uh, the father who's still sick. We don't need to really tie things up. We just no. end it on a good note, and we're out. That's good. Yeah. That's strong. Uh, the Night Watchman is a very quaint and fun cartoon without being too showy. Like Chuck Jones has a lot of really creative details and ideas floating around here with all the food and all the mice and the atmosphere he builds up, and it worked for me. I mean, it was a bit light. It, there's not a lot to this cartoon other than it being, you know, itself and being kind of fun. But I enjoyed this one. I think it was a very nice debut for Chuck Jones. Certainly not to the height of some of his best moments, but a really fun one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for my, my only qualm with this short is that it wasn't until the last half that I felt that Chuck Jones energy come in. But okay. besides that, besides that, it's a cute cartoon with one yeah. heck of an ending. It makes... I'll say this. It makes the cutesy moments a little... I swear when I was writing this, I didn't expect this pun. So here it comes. It makes... This short makes the cutesy moments a little more bearable and better better than, say, a bear's tail. Ah! Ah! In terms of using the quote-unquote Disney style to make some really good manic energy at the end. So yeah. Yeah. This is nice. This is a cartoon that I watched last night before I went to sleep. Perfect bedtime cartoon. You know, you watch it, you feel good, sends you off nice. Yeah, no, of course. I have have not really that many bad things to say about this cartoon. That's that's more than I was expecting. Uh, I'm giving this a 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to give this a 3 out of 5. Okay. It was nice. Yeah. You know. It's not too bad. Solid stuff. So, um... Between the release of this cartoon in 1938 and the release of the next short we will be discussing, we get what, uh, and we kind of went over this a bit, but we get what many people refer to as the cutesy period of Chuck Jones' career. He emulates that Disney style and design. He starts the Stiffles, Stiffles series of cartoons, which are cartoons based around a cute little mouse named Sniffles. Um, to most, to most Looney Tunes historians, Snivels just kind of came and went as Chuck was able to work on his skills as a director, and also by starting to work with writers such as Ted Pierce and eventually Michael Maltese. Right. Um, in, in terms of some prominent shorts that came out within uh, this era, Old Glory, <sighs> and, um, Elmer's Candid Camera, The Dover yeah. Boys. Hair Raising Hair, Bugs Bunny and the Three Bears, Adora a Bull okay. Kitty, which was mm. the first appearance of uh, Pebble Pew. And while these cartoons were able to get moderate success for him, you know, that these are really good cartoons we just discussed, uh, within this time, it is this next short that really starts the legendary Chuck Jones period, which uh, that short being Long Haired Hair. Yeah. So... Long-Haired Hair was released on June 25th, 1949. In terms of what happened that day, this short got released. 
I say that because when I was looking up what happens on that day, there were two things. This short got released and a presidential election in Syria. That's <laughs> it. That's the only thing that showed up. <sighs> <sighs> and, and that's all we're going to say about that. Okay. This is a Are you serious? <laughs> also, this... <laughs> <laughs> also, this presidential election in Syria, and it's in the note here, some women allowed to vote in 1949. In some, Syria. not all. Thanks, Syria. All right, this is directed by Chuck Jones, written by Michael Maltese. And uh, right, so what this cartoon is, it's a, it's a, it's a cartoon that really exemplifies how Bugs Bunny can be used incredibly well, how yes. to write a good Bugs Bunny story. We'll get into where we start. Talk about the short. In terms of uh, fun trivia, uh, Giovanni Jones was performed by an opera singer under the name of Nikolai Shurov. Yeah. I probably pronounced that wrong. And um, I couldn't find any more information about this guy. Right. I don't know when he was born. I don't know when he would die. I don't know if he did anything else after the short. I just know that apparently Legion historians just recently discovered that this was the guy who played him because this was like hmm. lost information for the longest time. So, huh, interesting. But it, it does make it, it, yeah. And uh, the ending gag of uh, Leopold is <laughs> based off of the famous composer uh, Leopold. Strakowski, you know, he's most known for his other musical cameos in Termite Terrence's uh, Hollywood shorts. Yeah, they like Le Leopold. As well as composing the Philadelphia Orchestra for Disney's Fantasia, which oh, just yeah. turned 80 years old. Yeah. That's a movie that I couldn't sit through until I was 13 years old. Anyways. <laughs> it, it's an amazing movie, though. It is. It really is. <laughs> Alright, so I, I right off the bat, so... <laughs> This cartoon exemplifies the best possible setup for Bugs Bunny cartoons because we just start with Bugs Bunny on a nice sunny day playing music. He's just singing yes. the song, not <laughs> here in the world. And we pan over to this house, and this opera singer is, you know, singing opera. You know, he's, he's, um, he's, he's, uh, he's rehearsing Largo. He's, practicing a Largo al Factorum from the Barba of Seville. Ah. Which this short came before Rabbit of Seville. So Chuck Jones mm. already knew about this piece back in 1949. So our uh, first running gag here is that you know Bugs is performing this song and 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 Giovanni can hear him and eventually Giovanni gets mixed up with the music and starts singing Bugs's uh, contemporary <laughs> song, which, which I love the expression he gives because he goes from Kung collected to he gets stressed out and he's walking, he's walking out to Bugs. He just grows bags under his eyes. Yes. <laughs> Immediately. Just so tough. I even love the little, ooh, he's just... <laughs> Yeah, so the Giovanni just walks on, walks on over to Bugs. He just rips the banjo out of his arms and does a complete dismantling of the banjo. <laughs> and I just love how perfect it is because it's literally just he breaks off the uh, he, or he 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 tunes out the strings, breaks off the neck, 
crumbles it into the banjo part, shows it to Bugs, pours it on the ground, they just puts the banjo bass through Bugs' head. That's great. <laughs> and and of course, just Bugs' line of uh, music hater. Music hater. Yeah. <laughs> the first the first recorded hater in all of media. Ah, first uh, of many. Yes. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> and then it happens again. Yes, and then it happens again. Except this time, Bugs is saying a song called uh, "Mike Gallagher, Highborn Lady" on the harp. <laughs> he just has a harp. There's a harp out of nowhere, and he's still he's performing. And and I love this. Now we didn't get a transition. We just get Bugs performing the song. Hard cut to cut. Giovanni <laughs> singing <laughs> the song, and she's going. <laughs> Dancing around. <laughs> He's really getting into this. Yeah, and yeah, I love he, it. He goes, goes back to Bugs and says, What's up, Doc? And it's just great usage of the harp shape. He just bends out the harp, puts Bugs' head in, and just slams it shut onto his head. I. I love the creative uh, destruction of musical instruments that are in the short. It's just great. Yes. Love it. <laughs> it is. <laughs> also course, a rabbit hater. Just, also a rabbit hater. Oh, well. And then our it's third just, uh, our third shot is... <laughs> <laughs> the progression. <laughs> the progression. We go from long song bit, shorter song bit, tuba immediately. <laughs> tuba. So, he, he starts to open his mouth, hears the tuba, and for a brief second, <laughs> he thinks that's him. <laughs> that's just great. And then, as soon as he's doing it, he sees Giovanni going, coming, just, oh! And he slides back into his rabbit hole. There's a nice sound effect of the tuba sound. Can't go in with him and just uh, I, I just love the visual of just you know, by reaching into the tube and just pulls bugs out of it. That's <laughs> great. Just ties him. The Jim just ties him to the tree, pulls him down, and he gets knocked on the head a bunch of times. And of course, but when he drops a uh, a march line, she says, uh, "Of course, you know this means war." And right here, this little minute or so of setup is great. Yeah, you know, that's how you're supposed to set up. That's how you're supposed to set up Bugs Bunny short. You know, um, yeah. it's supposed to be Bugs Bunny's own business. An external threat gets involved. Bugs doesn't begin to act. He doesn't start revenge onto the opera singer until the opera singer hurts him. But it is then he decides through, of course, you know, this means war. Okay, I'm going to mess with this guy. That is how you yeah. do a Bugs Bunny story. You let the threat come to Bugs. You don't have Bugs become the threat or whatever. That's how you do yeah. it. What I also love about this first bit is that it's basically, um, the, you know, the whole Bugs versus Giovanni Jones thing is basically, it's a competition, essentially, pop music versus classical. And Bugs is basically playing the part of pop music and playing all these pop staples and like, you know, just, just recent songs, songs that were popular in the 1940s. And Giovanni Jones is just coming in with the classics and, you know, operas and arias and things like that. And the, the, the pop music that Bugs is piping in just always annoys Giovanni Jones. Not that it's, not because it's Bugs, 
but because it's annoying pop music that that throws him off his game. So it's it's just the the disambi it's the the dissonance between people who like uh, you know opera singers and you know pop singers folk singers and you know it's it's a very subtle statement but it's it's still you know it's it's the backbone of the entire story because now we go into you know bugs's warfare essentially against this guy <laughs> yeah so so we we fade to black and we fade in and we find that the person's name is giovanni jones get it because it's chuck jones's last name it's funny yes <laughs> so so, and it turns out it's at the Hollywood Bowl, which is cool. You know, that's very nice. And, you know, we just starting to know Giovanni, and you know, we start singing, and we pan up, and there's Bugs, and he just dings the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> and just vibrating a bit, and you know, a bit. And little Bugs just goes, Acoustically perfect. <laughs> and he's, and Giovanni Jones about to Huge belting note, and of course, Bugs just has a mallet. He just mallets <laughs> the damn Hollywood Bowl. It sends Giovanni vibrating across the across the bowl. And he just lands into a tuba and just great Mel Planck uh, vocals of. Uh... <laughs> I love that. I mean, that's the thing because the way this is usually edited in things. We have the first half in there, and we have the second half in there, and usually this middle half, where it's just little little gags of bugs screwing with Giovanni Jones, usually this middle half is not included, and this little trick of gags here is cut out, which is a shame because all three of these are really good. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, because like bugs like pulls Giovanni out, which I'm like, uh, uh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, there's a bit a bit of a issue. We'll, we'll get back to you later, and <laughs> and and then of course he's all. He's all screwed up to Giovanni Jones, and Mark's just going like, oh, 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 the show must go on, you know? Come on, you know, get something together, you know? Open wide. And he uh, puts in a liquid, liquid a loom. Yeah. And uh, as he's spraying in, he heats out his line, just, there's the big bad opera singer. <laughs> just him I love it. Face. Uh, and then Joey gets, and then of course the music comes up. I was like, "That's a cute guy. They get out there!" <laughs> and of course, as Giovanni starts singing, his head gets smaller, which puts the pitch of his voice up. It's just great. Uh, and he just looks very worried as his as his head gets progressively progressively smaller. <laughs> So then, then we get to the, the next gag, which is, as Jeremiah Jones is about to come out, he had Bug Bunny dressed up as a fangirl, just going out here, just going like, oh, uh, it just says, oh, Frankie and Perry just aren't in, you're my <laughs> lover boy, I love you. And of course, that's a reference to Frank Sinatra and Perry being, uh... Perry Coma. Yes, yes. Pop singers. And of course, just gives... Giovanni, a stick of dynamite as the pan, like, oh, please, yeah. thank you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Jones. <laughs> and of course, just so explosion. Music cue. The music's great. The music really does a uh, heavy lifting in the oh, second yeah. half. Because yeah. just still, you know, like, comes out, doing explosion, just falls on the ground in perfect rhythm. <laughs> and then we. <laughs> And then we get into the uh, final part of the shorts. Oh, um, yes. 
Yes, this is the one everyone knows. You've seen it. I've seen it. You've all seen it. Um, this is the part that, w- that was in the Bugs Bunny Roller movie. It was yes. in that. Because, you know, they're, they're conducting the music. And I love how you tell Giovanni Jones' expression. He's a little bit peeved. I think by this point, he's kind of like, okay, this guy's fucking with my show. What's up with that? You know, um, but like, do the show, whatever. And then Bugs Bunny comes out dressed as Leopold, the Takaki. <laughs> <laughs> That's just silly enough. It's silly enough, but it's sillier in that the entire orchestra believes it immediately. He's like, man, that, yes. that's Leopold. That's not a bunny rabbit. That's <laughs> Even the conductor. <laughs> yeah, Leopold. Just, like, the, the, the Leopold. I and love it. steps away. Every time, I love it. He gives, he gives, the bunch gives Bug the, um, the, the stick and just breaks it because he's going to conduct it using his hands. There's a need no stick and stick. And he just starts off in a ceiling enough to start the orchestra play. Then he he looks at Giovanni, yeah. and he just you know does some easy stuff like okay, toy fetch, all right? Then puts hand up in the air, controls it, does little easy up and down pitch jokes. And of course, the one where he just goes all the way to the bottom of the ground, you know, oh. very, very low notes, which <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I don't know. And then the audience applauses, and of course, because he's Leopold, he tells him to stop, he stops. And then <laughs> this great. is when we get, and this is when we get the infamous Chuck Jones, Bugs Bunny, moving of the eyebrow bit. He's got him oh, right where yeah. he wants him. He knows exactly what to do. The, the music starts swelling up as he just goes the highest note possible. And as soon as he does that, Jeremiah Jones' face starts turning colors. His, uh, he, he falls to pieces, literally. Like, his clothes start yeah. falling off. It's great. He's singing for so long, yeah. To the point where Bugs can't stand hearing his voice anymore, so he leaves while his hand is still going. I love that. That always cracks me up. Yes. And 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 then we get a bit that and this is a little bit that was cut out of the movie and TV airings of it, where he signs he signs a package, goes outside, sends it, sings it to himself, get a package of Bugs Bunny guy coming in, <laughs> goes, rips it up. Puts our noise canceling earmuffs, walks back outside, and as he's walking back outside for a split second, you see Giovanni on the ground already in his underwear. Pounding. They cut. They cut to him. He's just pounding on the ground. <laughs> it's hurting him. It's just hurting <laughs> on the ground. And Bug comes back and it's tearing apart the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> He's singing so long at the infrastructure of the place. It's just falling to pieces. And you know, it, it falls to the ground. The singing stops. And the audience loves it. They're like, that's amazing! Look at that! He did it! Wow! And 
they're plotting buds, and then Giovanni comes out of the rubble, and Bugs notices this. He sees there's one big boulder up on a steel beam. Oh, yes. So he just goes, lifts his arm up, he sings, like he still starts singing. <laughs> the poor guy. We cut the Bugs, and while he's doing that, just hear a blam, no more singing, <laughs> and we end... <laughs> It was just bugs going going down, picking up his banjo, does a little banjo ending, uh, plays with his banjo, and as we iris out, he does a couple more eyebrow raises, like, I won. Ah, I love it. God damn, such a good ending. Yes, so good. And what I love is, what I love is, is in the grand scheme of things, all this guy had to do was let Bugs play his music and maybe maybe tell him to, hey, I'm rehearsing, could you please go away? Or, I don't know, close his door? Because that's like, yes. when we, when we, when we uh, pan over to this guy's house, his door is open. That'd do it. His door's wide open while he's doing this. Probably let the nature in or something. But, of course, he's <laughs> mad. Let the nature in? I don't know, the wind. I don't know. The, 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 the wind. Or, the wind. I don't know. And, and <laughs> of course, and of course, he gets mad. Like, how dare nature, Bugs Bunny, this rabbit, sing right now? It's like, man, all this guy had to do was let Bugs play, and he would have lived to take in the praise of his performance. Yes, I am pretty sure that Boulder at the end didn't kill him. But let me have my dark fantasies, okay? In my mind, that boulder killed him. <laughs> Probably. We don't see him again. Yeah, so that's that's long-haired hair. And uh, I love it. <laughs> it's it's I mean it's a great short. It works on all cylinders. There isn't there isn't a bad joke in here. It's a no, great not one. It's a great Bugs Bunny template story. It's got good music. Every guy works. No problems in this one. I'm going to get a 5 out of 5. So That's exactly what I'm giving it. Um, it's... Look, man. Every joke in this just feels like it works. It's a great concept. It's a great sort of foil for Bugs without really being that many lines of dialogue for the foil. It's a great sort of pop music versus classical music sort of thing. Bugs is masterful here. It, it uses music well. It uses gag work well. The entire ending gag is just so well-paced and well-done. It's rightfully a masterpiece, and I see why everybody loves it. Yeah, and and after this short comes out, I mean, this was, I mean, this was, a, this was in 1949. From here on out, the, the 50s, it's just an essential period for Jeff Jones. Yes. I mean, never, never has a decade been more kind to a Looney Tunes director than Jeff Jones. I mean, it, it's within this decade that we get all the classics, the beginning of Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner, Scarlet Pumperdinkle, Rabbit of Seville, What's Opera Dog, all these great classics within a span of 10 years, which is yeah. incredible. And, and you could argue that that all started because he was able to really nail it down with with the uh, long-haired hair, it, it, especially when it comes to uh, 
working with the uh, Bugs Bunny character. Mm-hmm. So as Chuck Jones gets all this acclaim and stuff, we kind of fast forward a bit to the 90s. Hey, yeah. at, that's our decade. <laughs> so uh, so before we go into it, uh, where were the lead, the uh, Looney Tune directors in the 90s? Uh, well, a lot of them were dead, Mark. Unfortunately, yes, a lot of them were dead. Um, but there were a couple. I mean, Fritz Freeling in his waning years was was sort of phasing out of most animated productions. I mean, his his last um, his last one is is eighty eight. But we're not really talking about Fritz Freeling. Chuck Jones stayed active as an animator yeah. through the seventies, eighties, and nineties, um, doing a lot of television work in the seventies and eighties becoming very good friends with Joe Dante and contributing stuff for the movies since he was sort of deified after the 1990s and the resurgence of the Looney Tunes. Um, he does some work for Stay Tuned. Um, he's in and out everywhere. And um, as the Warner Brothers productions start doing more theatrical shorts again in the, in the mid-90s, Chuck Jones gets a wind of that. Because a lot of the ones in the 90s are just like other animators... The same people who did like Blooper Bunny and Box Office Bunny and those. Yeah. Chuck Jones managed to get one in the late nineties. And this was at an area where the, you know, cartoons weren't really being showed in theaters. Um, this was just a little novelty that was being done that WB was doing in their kids' projects. We talked about this in our very first episode. And Chuck Jones decides that he's gonna do one more um Looney Tunes cartoon, essentially, with Bugs and Yosemite Sam, called uh, From Hair to Eternity. Okay, so this came out November 4th, 1997. Uh, what, what happened on that day, there's a... Um, Richard Hooker, who wrote the book MASH, dies on that day. He's also a surgeon, a doctor, and things. And the best part about like covering cartoons in the 1990s is that you can check out what was in theaters and there's movies you've heard of. So... Three really, really good movies were in theaters in this week. Boogie Nights, The Game, and Gattaca. Ah. All three of which uh, are really damn good and substantial. But yeah, um, Jones directs this one. Stephen Fassati writes the script. This is very much a, a more expanded, different Warner Brothers crew, even in the vocal performances. Greg Burson voices Bugs. Yosemite Sam, and first of all, this is one of the very few Yosemite Sam cartoons that Chuck Jones ever did. Um, he's Emmy Salmon. This is voiced by Frank Gorshin. I shouldn't have to explain. Of the Riddler. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> of the Riddler. He's, he's the, the Riddler. Riddler. from Batman 56. We've gone over this. Come on. He's the Riddler, <laughs> but he's also one of those sort of, he, he's one of Jim Carrey's influences in a lot of other ways, and that he's a very dynamic character actor. Um, he did work in a lot of, like, like there's a very famous um, Star Trek episode where he plays, Frank Orshin comes in and plays a sort of a black and white alien. And it's, it's I think I think the name of it is Let That Be Early S. Battlefield, I believe is the name of that episode. I could be very wrong. But um, dynamic actor, could do serious work, could do comedic work, uh, was doing a lot of voice acting in the 90s, did voice parts in several of the WB exclusive um, shorts for theaters. He did, he did Daffy Duck in one of his, he did Foghorn Leghorn and Pull It Surprise, and he did from uh, he did Yosemite Sam and From Hair to Eternity. One of the things that you should keep in mind before I go into From Hair to Eternity is that one of the influences and one of the things that Chuck Jones and the writers had in mind when making this cartoon was a Gilbert and Sullivan play called the HMS Pinafore, 
which is the whole thing is that it's, you know, it's this musical and they're on the high seas and it's pirates and there's a captain. And if you've seen the Simpsons episode, Cape Fear, where they're going down Townsville sort of faults, this sort of lake, and Sideshow Bob is dared by Bart to sing the entire length of the HMS Pinafore and does so, <laughs> then you probably know some of the songs from the HMS Pinafore. And three, and we sail the ocean blue, and a saucy ship's a beauty. We are sober men and true, and attentive to our duty. Uh, Gilbert and Sullivan never really caught on with this, um, <laughs> with Gen Z, but most of us know it from, at least from that. And so a lot of the songs are in this that are at least fragments of... You know, that's right. I know them because my film appreciation course, we watched the movie Topsy Turvy, which is which is all yeah. about... Uh, Gilbert, Gilbert and Sullivan, Sullivan doing the Mikado, place, yes. So. The Mikado, yeah. Um, Good that's a Mike Lee film, I think. Yes, it is. And so, yeah, very, very acclaimed uh, indie British director. So, um, so this this literally starts with this like first of all, the colors and the animation is very vibrant and very different yeah. from a lot of the earlier Looney Tunes stuff. This is definitely a good thirty years after Chuck Jones's heyday, and there's a lot there's been a lot more advancements in, in animation. There's a lot more you can do with color. And we start with this energetic sort of pirate song that Yosemite Sam has. And the first bit of this pirate song that Frank Gorshin as Sam has reminds me of like a Ralph the Dog song. Like something that Jim Henson would do. Because that's what uh, Frank Gorshin's Sam voice is very similar to. So, so that that's why you sent me... Oh, should I mention that's... that on here? Go, go ahead. Do you ahead, want me, to, you want me to enlighten other people on what that is? Yes, because... It's great. It's okay, great. <laughs> so um, my friend Mick, um, who I met at college, who sends me a lot of weird music things every once in a while, sends me, um, at least put, points me in the direction of a progressive rock band from Canada from the 1970s called Klaatu. Um, their whole thing was that um, people legitimately thought they were the Beatles in disguise, and they thought that the whole... Klaatu record was just that the Beatles using pseudonyms and different voices to disguise the fact that they were still together and people in the 70s genuinely thought this. And so I'm listening to this album and I'm like, okay, I can see where people would think that Klaatu would be the Beatles. And then I get to this one song, the second to last song on the album called Sir Bodsworth um, Sir Bodsworth I can't say the fucking thing. And I, I get to the, the second to last song on the album called Sir Bodsworth Rugglesby the Third, and it is a full-on pirate shanty kind of thing done in a very Ralph the Dog-like voice. Well, do you get the itching to track about the latitude you do? Well, likely you're a chip off old Sir Rugglesby. Well, and I send it to Mark. I sent it to you, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? And why it, it did, did, because I, I gave you the whole backstory. I'm like, people thought this was the Beatles. And I'm like, so did people think that, that, that the Muppets, did, did people think that Jim Henson snuck into the recording as the Beatles are growing up? Like, oh, yeah, Jim Henson, he's a friend of ours. Yeah, you can go into the recording group. Like, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to go, like, from a question of Beatles, 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 Muppets, Beatles. Like, it just doesn't really work like that. It, it does so it, Which, it boggled the, way, the hell out of me. And so that's way, what this reminds me of. 
I would have loved a Jim Henson Muppets, a, a Jim Henson uh, Beatles collaboration. That'd be amazing. It would have been amazing. And yes. If, and this is and if this is the closest thing I'm getting to it. I'm happy because yeah, it it legitimately sounds like Ralph Duck and. And that sounds like something they do on the Muppet Show. They would do like a Pirates, uh, Santee, some by Ralph the Dog on a piano, on like a on like a pirate ship. That's something they, they would imagine, do on the Muppet Show. So it's not. Can gonna, you can you imagine if Paul McCartney were to come on the Statler and Waldorf? Oh, I'm so disappointed now. Why? What's that? I thought that one was supposed to be dead. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, <laughs> you, you never know when I'm going to pull out the Sattler and Waldorf impressions. <laughs> it's always welcome. Oh, all God. right. I so, love doing them. so anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, before I get too far into this, we pan down as we see this sort of pirate ship that Sam is on, and it is the HMS Frizz Freeling, home port of Kansas City. Which, ah, yes, that's yes, a nice because, tribute. Um, yeah. This whole thing was done because uh, Fritz Feeling passed away in 95. So this whole cartoon, it's just Chuck Jones' tribute to a friend, which is great. That That's just really nice. Which is good. And I'm all for that because, you know, this is definitely the kind of cartoon that Fritz himself would direct and Chuck has taken it on himself, which is very nice. And I love the bit in here where Sam is... is Starts disagreeing with the sort of song he's singing, where all the background singers like, and he's always sick at sea. And he's like, "Wait, no, I'm never sick at sea." It turns into Sir Robin song from Monty Python. And also the little the little what never back and forth here makes it very clear this is an HMS Pinafore parody. It's very clear. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love how quick the animation is as it follows Sam around the ship as he talks about how much he loves gold, filthy lucre. And also, and we can discuss this here, I like Frank Gorshin as Sam. It's a very fun vocalization he has for it. Ooh. That's that's I think we're gonna be uh, all right. Um, what what do you I think? think? It's passable. It's passable. I think it's passable. Okay. It's I think it, you could find better ones, but like for what it is, it's fine. I, I think it is a bit too. Does any damn sense? Too gravelly. That makes any sense? Well, it needs to be a little gravelly. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like like. I can tell it would do something to be Sam. I'm not saying like, what the, that's supposed to be Sam's voice? No, no, that sounds like Sam. I've just heard better Sam's. Well, look, I'm going to say something controversial in that uh, the guy who's doing it currently um, for the Warner Brothers units, uh, Fred Tadascure, uh, I think that Frank Gorshin was better than him when he does Sam. Okay. Because I think that his Sam is a bit too Hulk Hogan-y. What do you mean there, brother? Get them out of there. Come out there, rabbit. I'll be I'll be one WWE WrestleMania. What are you gonna Ooh. do when these two rabbits are there are coming for you? <laughs> anyway. 
But that's a different thing. I don't think that... Did the Looney Tunes ever do a WWE special or was that just Scooby-Doo? Oh! The Flintstones. <laughs> eh, I don't know. Look at... Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't looked at, at uh, Space Jam uh, marketing too much. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe during Space Jam they had him show up on WWE. I don't know. Can, can you imagine? Anyway. It's Fox Party! <laughs> you can't see me. Um, right. uh, can you smell what Daffy Duck is cooking? Anyway. We're clearly having fun here, folks. Uh, okay, here's a question. Do who Wally Coyote's least favorite wrestler is? Uh, the Roadrunner Warriors? No, The Rock. Oh, yeah. Boulders. Okay. <laughs> Does that mean Leon Schlesinger is just Vince McMahon? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and we'll get more into that ne on next week. Next week? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, I think that's enough tomfoolery for right now. Okay. Um, I love the energy of Sam blowing the sails himself and being yanked along the back as the ship sort of comes in the shore. This is all very much Chuck energy, which is great. And the way that Sam flings into a palm tree and is catapulted through his sails and back into the water. And keep in mind, Bugs hasn't even showed up yet. This is all Sam left to his own devices and just the slapstick is his own doing, which is already, it, it works fine, honestly. I can already tell you're going to disagree with me in this cartoon. What? Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I like this one. Is it so bad? We're going to get to the end and you're going to give it like a two. No, no. You on, always, you always, you always do play me wrong. You're always like, oh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Three. Alright, so So yeah. So eventually uh Sam goes on the island and just I, I love the music cues here because this is a Looney Tunes cartoon. So of course the second Sam sees the X, we hear we're in the money, which is great. <laughs> and he's just digging into the X. And we have this this is a, a total pat on the back moment where as he's digging, just he hits something. And then we just hear, hello, my baby. Hello. My... <laughs> that was great. Michigan I laughed. Frog shows up. Yeah. Because he, he, he deserves it. You know, oh, no, you don't. Not in my picture. In <laughs> my picture. Just, I love it. Goes up, I hate frogs. <laughs> <laughs> I hate rabbits. Most importantly, I hate frogs. I was always more of a UPN individual. <laughs> uh, and then as Sam just takes the treasure chest out, he doesn't even notice Bugs on top of it. Bugs <laughs> just shrugs. That's good. Yeah, great. it's like, well, I'm here. <laughs> and, okay, so Bugs does his trade. And for the record, and I already said things about Sam um, and his voice. Greg Burson as Bugs is fine. Uh, not one of the best Bugs as I've heard. Uh, it works, though. It definitely counts as a Bugs voice. That definitely is what that is. It's just it's not one of the best ones. Um, what, what do you think about that? I found the Bugs voice to be perfectly good. Yeah. I had, I had a problem with it. Yeah, exactly. It's you know it's not as controversial as Frank Gorshin and Sam. Um, it's better. You know what? I'll say this. It's controversial. 
it's better than Jeff Bergman's Bugs from the Looney Tunes show. Yes. He's great in the 90s stuff. Looney Tunes show, it's weird. It, it, it's a weird yeah. voice of the show. But, like, he keeps good in the mm -hmm. 90s. Just don't kill me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Bugs does his, his usual What's Up Doc. And I, I reprinted this whole Sam dialogue. Doctor? I ain't no doctor. Get off my treasure chest or you'll be needing one. A doctor, that is. <laughs> that is Sam. Very Sam. A little bit of Foghorn Leghorn in there, but very Sam. And I also love, love how he's, he's, he's talking about himself and he goes like, All the seven seas! And a couple of, a couple of lakes on South Dakota, too. This is, it's good dialogue and Frank Gorshin does it well. What can I say? And <laughs> I also want to mention here that Sam talks about going to Vegas, which six years later, he'd have his own casino there. Uh, he'd have his own casino there and Warner Brothers would make a cartoon about it that wouldn't be seen for another couple of years. Yeah. I love this rug. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Um... Of course, the second that Sam mentions girls, Bugs throws him on the ship and they take off. Which, which by the way, okay, out of the lines, like, he's like, yeah, go, go, and golden girls. And Bugs just yells, golden girls? <laughs> ah, I see Bugs is a fan of the uh, late 80s, early 90s sitcoms about sassy old ladies living together. If you're gonna... <laughs> don't, don't say anything bad about, um, about the golden girls here. <laughs> oh, no. I have oh, friends no. who love that one. Oh, that show's good. I think uh, a a staple in my house. It's a solid show. There's nothing wrong with it. I just you know. Just be careful because we're gonna have the entire gay population of America just unsubbing if we say something bad. But we like it. I know. I'm just saying, be careful. I say one thing about Sandra Bernhardt, and I'm on a watch list. And if you want context for that, listen to Vericon Video's episode about Hudson Hawk. Yeah, it's only been out for like two months by now, but uh, <laughs> but it's a good one. And Sandra, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so Bugs is on the ship. And then um, we have this bit where um, where Sam just tells the Bugs, there's only room for one captain on the ship because Bugs starts, you know, saying he's the captain. Sam's being like, bugs. oh, no, you don't. Right, right, you're being Bugs. And uh, Sam just goes, you're not the captain. Get on the, get on the, on the board. And then we have a... Uh, Familiar situation of bugs <laughs> being on a board, except this time there's a shark underneath. And, you know, Sam's just saying, no, jump. We've seen this before. I've seen this. And I, I love the detail of it's Bugs's, uh toes. I reckon, <laughs> like, one of his toes feels out the board area, goes, yipe, talks to his other toes, and the toes notice it. They go yipe, and that's how Bugs realizes that he's in trouble. I love that detail. <laughs> I just very subtle, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's cute. I like it. Yeah, um, but I do like this bit because it's you know it's it's the whole thing where Sam saws off uh, Bugs' plank, but it won't separate, it won't fall off because physics is great in these. And <laughs> I love Bugs just slowly inching back onto the ship past Sam and going, "You should try jumping on it." And it's very easy to just mail in this sort of, you know, crashing down into the water thing. But because of just the sound effect and also just the little look of realization as Sam goes crashing down on it, this really worked for me. It's just, bug, just uh, Sam going, well, thank you, partner. And I'm like so happy. He's like, well, thank you. And he jumps on it. And yeah, that, 
that got me laughing hard. That was, that was really great. good. That, that that was confirmation that yeah. Chuck definitely still had it back in at, at this time. Yeah, no, it, it's it's really good, and um, you know he, this is where he nearly he he, he escapes because um, you know the the shark gets the plank, but Sam gets back onto the boat, right? Yes, and then. Again, more HMS Pinafore theming, where Bugs is in drag as a mermaid, and they sing another song from. <laughs> we sing another song from that song. There's an actual love cue as Sam is really okay. smitten by mermaid Bugs, and. <laughs> Wait, uh, all right. Uh, first of all, um, the animation here is done by Eric Goldberg. Oh yeah, yeah, it's done by this, and also. Mermaid bugs and barnacle daffy unite. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, uh, man, a Looney Tunes show where they're all superheroes. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> oh well. Anyway. <laughs> oh God, no. Um, but yeah, no. It. I. I love this bit because it's just like, like. <sighs> Like isn't it like like Sam runs toward Bugs and like because of like I think Bugs ducks and then just in this passionate moments because he like I think Bugs Sam's running at him for a kiss and there's just this passionate music sting as Sam flies off the ship. <laughs> that was really funny to me and of course he ends up kissing the shark and running off in that respect I think. But the music just killed me there. And then we just get the the ending gag where Bugs just goes. Yeah, I can't understand why anyone but me would want 18 carrots. And the joke being that the 18 carrots is actually 18 carrots. The and just the vegetable. And we iris out on Buck just shrugging as we iris out onto the uh, the carrots. <laughs> and uh, It's great. It's it's a great ending. Great ending. A nice little declaration to uh, Isidore Frizz Freeling. Mm-hmm. Which uh, we will get into more next week. Yes. He's next. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what I don't like? I don't like how you actually did guess what my M4 rating for this cartoon <laughs> is. What, you giving it a two? No. I'm giving it a three. Of course. No, I figured you would. Because that's what I'm yeah, doing. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Oh, okay, good. All right, there we go. I know you're all guilty. Because said, oh, what? Is it a three out of five? I'm like, shit, this is three out of five. No, this Anyways. I can understand you giving a three out of five to. But, yeah. like, I was worried. It's like, oh, this is great. This is great. Three, two, <laughs> one. Oh, no, 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 no. This is, this is not a one. No, it's not. Um, it's, it's, yeah. Well, I... I don't want to say, oh, take the sentimentality out of it. This is the last one. And his last show was a dedication to his best friend. Take that out of it. Um, this is nice. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a nice cartoon. You know, there's no, there's no real issues with it. Um, I think the pacing in the beginning could have been a little faster. Yeah. You know, we do spend a bit too long with the song bit. Not that I'm complaining about mm-hmm. it. it. It's a, it's a fine song bit, but it goes on a bit too long for me. No, it's, it's a perfectly fine, spirited, energetic short that, while in no way is as good as the originals, was good enough to amuse me and make me laugh, which is all that really matters. And yeah. 
I'm glad that at least Chuck Jones's last cartoon was at least kind of good rather than not good at all. So it still works for me. Yeah, I I, I had no problems with this with this short. It's it's very it's it's a very good uh, it's a very good short. Yeah, no no qualms against this at all. That's the thing. All three of these were just really nice. Yeah. I mean, yes, the the immortal long haired hair, but all three of these were just pretty good. You know, just nothing bad to say about. It. All right, so. As he approached his uh, later years, um, in 1996, he, of course, got an Honorary Academy Award from, from the Academy, presented by Robin Williams for his uh, years of hard work. Mm-hmm. And his speech was very nice. You know, yeah. he ended by uh, dedicating it to, uh, you know, his termite Terrence comrades, you know, like, wherever you are, you know, and that's very nice. Um... In uh, 99, he founded the Chuck Jones Center for Creativity, which is located in Costa Mesa, California. It's, a, um, art ed- it's an art education uh, that's dedicated to teaching creative skills, primarily to, uh, to children and to seniors. It is still in operation today. He, um, and in, uh, two th- in 2002, he uh, passed away on February 22nd due to heart failure at the... Right, old age of eighty nine. You know, he lived. Yeah, a, so he lived a full life. He lived a full life. Um, t- uh, t- Wild from Hatchery Attorney is his last directorial short. Um, his last ever ever short that was that he was involved in was a short called Daffy Duck for President. Oh, yeah. based on a book yeah. that Chuck Jones wrote and. It's, it was animated in Chuck Jones's style. It was released in 2000, and it was also released in 2004 on the Golden Collection set. Right. Which, and also, Chuck Jones filmed an intro for the Golden Collection set on Volume 1, oh, which yeah. kind of amazed me. Like, how long was the phone collection DVDs in the works? Because the, the couple set, of years, the probably. Come, yeah, a couple of years in you know, order them to, to record this. So that that was that was a really cool feature. Just like you know, here's 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 a legend introducing you to this big body of work that him and his uh, comrades have done. So yeah, so yes, as as we end here. Um, I know we answered this already previously, but seriously, what what is with Chuck Jones cartoons? Like everyone has this huge toleration and nostalgia for Chuck Jones cartoons more than any others. You know, I think with Frisk Freeling, it feels like a, a respect thing. Same as you know, with Tex Avery, something like that. Oh, Chuck yeah. Jones, everyone knows him, and everyone loves the cartoons. And what's weird is it's like. It's like Chuck, and not to bring my hatred towards Bob Clampett, <laughs> Bob Clampett in his in his uh, later years uh, would do college lectures and and stuff, kind of making sure his name's still out there. And you, you come to 2020, and yes, Looney Tune fans know who Bob Clampett is, but I don't think you can go to any schmo on the street and say, "Quick, who who's Bob Clampett, and what cartoons did he do?" You yeah. wouldn't be able to do that. But with Chuck Jones, you can. Because when you're great, you don't need to get the word around, you know? Yeah. Yes. 
Let's read some comments. Yeah. All right, so we have a comment here from Win Carroll at Win3317. He says that the Night Watchman is the first instance of the innocent victim protagonist who's driven to action narrative trope Jones would later use to make Bugs Bunny a star during World War yeah. II. I mean, this is actually a theme of, of a lot of Chuck Jones's stuff, not just during World War II, obviously, the... Um the wartime sort of efforts and the um, the Bugs and Daffy ones uh, immediately going against the enemies and such. But I, I forget if I mentioned it during the actual uh, rundown of the, of the episode, but Scaredy Cat, which is the, um, which was a, a, another Chuck Jones one that was, you know, the timid gun against uh, Sylvester, basically spurned into action by his own subconscious. Chuck Jones was great at these. Chuck Jones it, knew that this theme was good, not only for the American public during the war, but also for anyone watching cartoons who was too timid to go up against any bully or any horrifying act in any cartoon. It didn't just work with Bugs Bunny, it worked with even the meekest of characters. That's why this little mouse that um, that, that is the Night Watchman works so well in the last act of this cartoon, going up against all of the mayhem that's going about things. Chuck Jones stuck to his laurels, he stuck to his themes, and made the best cartoons for it. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad that you caught up on that theme because um, <clears throat> that's something that didn't really occur to me until you really brought out this sort of pattern. So, well, well, well thought out. Well done. Thank you for your comments. All right, so for next week's director, as we've already said, we're going to be looking at the works of Frizz Freeling. We're going to be looking at uh, three shorts that, you know, kind of show you know, the beginnings of his career, the heyday of his career, and the end of his career. Uh, we're going to start with the live-action animated short, You Ought to Be in Pictures, yeah. followed by Showbiz Bugs, and with and his uh, final cartoon, Lighter Than Hair, which, <laughs> um, which uh, is there anything uh, crazy about that cartoon, Jordan, that you'd like to share about it? Uh, it's, it's Frizz Freeling's attempt at trying to make a Chuck Jones, uh, sci-fi cartoon. And it's a bit weird, and it has, um, a, a Yosemite Sam as a, Yosemite Sam plays an alien. Yeah, because that makes sense, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make uh, sense at all. Nah, alright, so, join us next week for that. <laughs> All right. So that is the end of our show. If you like to keep up with us on Twitter, you can follow me at Mark Halem, 1995. And you can follow me at Tall Guy Schmidt. If you'd like to give your thoughts for next week's shorts or keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow at that underscore loony or type in the podcast title. We are the first result. You can also find us wherever podcasts are readily available. That includes Spotify podcasts, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, wherever we've been. Uh, we're probably still there. All right. So until next week, I'm Mark. And <laughs> I, okay, this is a good one. This is a really good one. Okay. Okay. Good. And I've been Jordan Schmidt. Thank you. And what's that? It's Frizz Freeling with a steel chair. Oh my god. <laughs> Leon's Lester Jones is down! <laughs> Chuck Jones is down! <laughs> oh my god, what? <laughs>
Chris really turns heel. <laughs> <laughs>